away we go. How are you, Dr. Bill? I am wonderful, Dean. How are you? I'm fantastic. Welcome, everybody, to the Starting Different series of webcasts. Um, every day, we have a chance to start different. Every interaction with clients, every interaction with our team, with our family, and uh, I am really honored that today, in the first webcast of this series, I have my dear friend and Vistage Speaker of the Year, Dr. Bill Crawford, with us. So uh, I want to just show Bill the album cover that I created for this morning. This was the sunrise. This is an unfiltered shot from the back deck this morning, and my wonderful artist, Lucia, created a new logo, which combines a starting button with uh, a sunrise. Um, the purpose of these talks, I want to give everyone an opportunity to learn from folks that have been highly impactful for me, and occasionally folks, maybe once or twice in a lifetime. If you're lucky, you're gonna encounter an idea so powerful in its implication that it changes everything you do. And that's what Bill Crawford's brain model and what I'm gonna share with you today, what I'm gonna allow my friend to share with you today has done. So just a little bit of background on Dr. Bill. Uh, in addition to uh, being this year's Vistage Speaker of the Year Award, he was Tech Canada's Speaker of the Year Award a few years ago. He's got two PBS specials under his belt on stress and communication, seen by over 15 million people. He's written eight books, guys. He's been published in all kinds of magazines. Bill, I didn't know, Cosmo had, had uh, Twice. I got Cosmo. Cosmo, twice. Cosmo had you twice, but the New York Times Entrepreneur Magazine, the New York Times, as I said, Investors Daily, the Chicago Tribune, um, unbelievable. So I want to give people uh, a little tease. There is a five-step model that the acronym is the word BRAIN, B-R-A-I-N, that you can use to shut off stress and anxiety. And Bill has taught me how to do it. I've taught everyone I love how to do it. And let me give you the bottom line up front for today's 30 minute or less workshop. Number one, what if there was a button that you could push to shut off stress and anxiety in your brain? You know, everyone's going through massive change, massive disruption these days. We're all in ways starting different. And whenever we start anything different, our brain sees that as danger. You know, I sent this uh, this uh, image to my father this morning. He's actually uh, on the call, and you'll see the note that uh, that Grandpa sent back to me and the grandkids, which was, "If there was such a button, hit that button." So, good news, bad news, folks. Two quick things before we get started. Here's number one: good news. Everyone on this call and everyone you know was born with a brain, and the bad news is, you were never given a user manual for it. So a little background on the guy who gave me the user manual for my brain uh, and taught me a model that I use almost every single day to eliminate stress. So Bill, you and I met, I wanna say five years ago. Does that sound right to you? It does, and you know, I've been thinking about that, and although it doesn't seem that long. It, it, we talked, looked at the timeline and yeah, it was about five years ago. So, and five years ago is when I was named Vistage Speaker of the Year. For those of you who don't know Vistage, let me just spend a quick minute. Vistage is the largest CEO membership organization in the world. It's something that, that Bill and I love dearly. I've been a Vistage member and a Vistage speaker now for 12 years. The organization's been around since the 1950s. So 25,000 members around the world. It's also the largest speakers uh, bureau, if you will, in the world. 
couple thousand speakers. Dr. Bill last year was named Vistage Speaker of the Year, which is a huge honor. So Bud Carter, a dear friend of, of, of ours, uh, Bud Carter was a chair at the time down in Houston, and uh, I had been going through some personal catastrophes, all self-inflicted, uh, as Dr. Bill helped me to understand. And uh, uh, Bud said, you know, Dean, I, I want to suggest you read a book. And, um, and I read books a little differently than most people. I read books with the intention of teaching it to someone else. And, and by the way, that's what I'm going to ask you guys to do today as we go through this. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment that you'll teach two people Dr. Bill's model within the next 24 hours that you can learn it and memorize it yourself. So I, I got Dr. Bill's book and I read it three times and I got so excited. I asked Bill to have dinner with me. And Bill, your wonderful wife, Georgia, joined us, and Bud and his wonderful wife joined us. And uh, then I had an opportunity to hear Dr. Bill speak to a group. Uh, and it was Clyde Northrup, who's a Vistage chair in, in the Washington, D.C. area. And Clyde was good enough to let me attend as a guest. And folks, I was blown away. Um, a few, uh, maybe a year later, Bill, when we spoke for John, John Dame, does that seem about right? Black Clyde, that was a fun time together. Yeah, I love that. So, so John has a, uh, John Dame is a Vistage chair in Harrisburg, has a huge event, and part of my deal with John and him asking me to speak was I asked if he would allow Dr. Bill to come. So before I, you know, take away all the, all the fire here from Dr. Bill, I, I want to say, Dr. Bill, this is the book that changed my life and my daughter's life and a ton of, you give us a little background on the book as we, as we jump into your model? Yeah, it's something I've been working on for about 30 years. It's a system, a philosophy, a framework that really looks into the science of accessing one's best regardless of the situation. I started it right after my PhD and I've been working it and revising it and just kind of, I think the last time was about uh, the 2017. Mm. So what I like to do basically, whenever I'm talking with someone, I think it's my responsibility to bring them new information that they can use immediately to affect their experience of life. I think it needs to be new information. So I'm not just telling you what you already know. There's a great quote from, Albert Einstein, I love this, says problems cannot be solved at the same level of awareness that created them. So I think my job, and I know you're, you feel is the same way, our job is to bring new awareness to people about what's really going on, why it's going on, and how we can do something about it. So what I'd like to do is kind of go in and look at the what. What I think is important about the what is that not only are problems triggering a certain reaction, you can see there in the slide, the COVID-19, difficult people, lack of business, stock market, all the things that people are experiencing certainly triggers stress, anxiety, frustration, whatever. I'm gonna suggest that isn't the real problem, however, because if we just got a little stress and all of a sudden flip up to clarity, confidence, and creativity, that wouldn't be that, real, that big of a deal. But what happens is when we get stressed and anxious and frustrated, we kind of try to deal with the situation from that stressed, anxious, frustrated perspective. And because we're not very effective when we're trying to when we're stressed, anxious and frustrated, we're we don't we can't change it. Plus, there's a lot of stuff over there. We just can't change. That triggers another reaction. And now this second reaction is more powerful because there's a sense of powerless behind it. And it's a sense of frustration that triggers another reaction. And we find ourselves trapped in a cycle of stress, frustration. I think that's the real what. There's a quote that I have in my book that says stress is a signal. Something needs to change. Suffering mm. when we don't make the change. Mm. So we could just kind of see stress as a signal, all of a sudden do something about it. In that moment, I think we'd be great. So that's the what. 
Let's look at the why. I love questions about the why. When I was getting my PhD, I really wanted to know why we find ourselves trapped in this cycle. So I left the, the College of Psychology and went to the College of Biology and took a course called the Biological Basis of Behavior. And in it, I learned that everything we think and feel and do and say, how we react to others, how others react to us, all has to do with how the brain processes information. So I've spent the last 30 years of my life creating a system, a philosophy, a framework that shows people how to access their best by accessing a specific part of the brain. Now to avoid the stress, frustration, anxiety, resentment, the stuff that gets in the way of our clarity, confidence, and creativity by avoiding a specific part of the brain. I call the system life from the top of the mind, and what I want to do today is kind of look at that why from that perspective and then teach you part of part one. So as you can see by the slide, you got three parts of the brain. Of course, the brain is very complex, but I'd like to divide it into three parts. It's easier to understand, and they each do something different. So that lower brain is called the brainstem. This is a fight or flight brain. You've heard about this. This is where the part of the brain that regulates our muscle tension, heart rate, blood pressure, breathing, etc. Middle part of the brain is called the limbic system. This is what some people call the emotional brain because this is where our emotions are triggered for the most part. We can just call it the middle brain. What most people don't know about this middle brain, and I didn't know this until I took this course, is that this middle brain acts as a gatekeeper. Or in today's terminology, it acts as a scanner, a processor, and a router. It scans incoming data processes it or interprets it and either routes it down to the lower brain or up to the upper 80% of the brain that I call the top of the mind. It's also called the neocortex. This is where we have access to our interpersonal skills, our problem solving skills, our clarity, confidence, creativity, etc. So what happens is, see this middle brain, it's not very smart and it's working on old software. Its mission on the planet is to keep us alive as a species and so it has a tendency to scan the environment looking for anything negative, because negative might contain a threat, whereas anything positive doesn't. So and it it's, actually, it's actually in the brain's best interest. It's in our species' best interest for our brain to assume that any change in the environment is danger. Because right. if we assume it's danger, we'll, we'll, we'll do something real quick without thinking, because that's the way that part of the brain is set up. But the challenge is that not everything in our environment now is a saber-toothed tiger. Yes. So the question is, when we need to react to something without thinking, quickly, without thinking, somebody slams on their brakes in front of us, somebody jumps out at us from the bushes, then the middle brain will react. It'll go to the lower brain without, it bypasses the neocortex, by the way, mm. goes directly to that lower brain brainstem. We react without thinking to run away or fight or whatever we need to do. That's the perfect response. The problem is the middle brain is interpreting almost anything negative as dangerous and throwing us into the part of the brain that's designed to deal with danger. This triggers adrenaline, noradrenaline, and cortisol. Those are the stress hormones, which are great in a fight or flight situation. But it also triggers stress, frustration, anxiety, resentment, depression, all those negative emotions. And when we try to deal with life from that lower brain, the original trigger seems worse that has the middle brain going, whoa, more negative data, didn't mean for that to happen, sends it right back down to the lower brain, and we become trapped in this lower brain, trying to deal. So, yeah. so what, would, what would people be feeling, actually feeling, when they're feeling cortisol, when they're feeling all of those bad, bad survival, well, they're not bad survival, they're survival chemicals. Yeah, it's just, it's not a survival situation. 
the heart would be racing. Uh, the breathing gets really shallow. The tension in the back of the neck uh, kind of becomes tense. Some people start to feel a heaviness or a tenseness right in the middle of their chest. We get confused. We get frustrated. We get, you know, anxious. And, last, and week, last week, Dr. Bill, I actually got lost walking in my own neighborhood. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I was telling you, I was telling you, I got so angry at something two weeks ago that it actually hurt to touch my hair. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what we got to recognize is that's a valuable signal. It's basically data being sent to the wrong part of the brain. It's not our failure to cope. And it's not the triggers making us feel this way. See, that's a big deal. If we think those difficult people or difficult situations out there are causing our stress, then we have to change them before we can change any different anything anything in our body. But if we because what we want to what we want to be feeling is all of the things you have up top in this graphic. So if we'll just recognize that it's this middle brain misinterpreting some negative situation as dangerous, it's basically da uh, data being sent to the wrong part of the brain. Then we can go, okay, good information. Now here's the how. That's the why. Here's the how. We've got to know how to shift from this lower brain up into the upper brain in order to be able to access these qualities and characteristics. So All right, this let's is, give them the magic. Let's give them the magic, Bill. This is where I came up with the brain model, and it starts by ha making sure we want this upper 80% of the brain, the neocortex, the top of the mind, to literally regain control from the lower brain. So since normally the lower brain controls breathing, one way for the upper brain to begin to regain control is to take over the breathing and start to take deep breaths. Now, sometimes when I say this to a group, they go, oh, Bill, don't tell me to take a deep breath. I hate it when someone tells me that because it doesn't change anything. And of course, it doesn't change anything out there. But what we're wanting to do is have this upper 80% of the brain literally regain control by literally taking over a function normally controlled by the brain. I encourage you to use the 444 methods, what the Navy SEALs use to regain control, by the way. Simple, easy, anybody can do it. You just inhale for a count of four, you hold it for a count of four, and you exhale for a count of four. Yeah, that has you breathing slowly and deeply and purposely, and you're counting. There's only one part of the brain that can count. By the way, if you're ever experiencing a panic attack or an anxiety attack or someone around you is and they want you to help them, ask them to count backwards from 100 by two or three, because by the time they get to the mid 80s, you're going to notice a change in their demeanor because it requires this part of the brain to regain control because this is the only part of the brain that can count. Hmm. Now, if you want to make this even more powerful and have the upper 80% of the brain take over two functions normally controlled by the lower brain, you actually want to say the word relax on the exhale. Now, not relax, relax, you just need to relax, not that, but relax. Relax. Yeah, relax, draw it out like that, relax. And let your shoulders drop when you do that. Because what you're wanting to do is literally kind of release some of that muscle tension through this particular part of the model. It may take more than one time, by the way, okay? It depends on how deeply we are in, the, in that lower brain. But you want to do this until you feel in control, until you feel centered. Then we want to shift from a focus on the problem to a focus on the solution. We want to be very purposeful about the kind of questions we're asking in the middle of a situation. Because what I have found are questions are the search engine for the brain. They will actually determine what part of the brain we're in. 
And unfortunately, when we're in the lower brain, we're asking BS or brainstem questions like, <laughs> oh man, how long is this gonna last? Oh man, when am I gonna get my money back? Why don't people listen to me? Who taught this idiot to drive? Why don't, you know, those are understandable questions, but they're all brainstem questions. They will throw us in that lower brain. All right, so give us the magic because you know how much I love one of these questions. One of these questions, and really it's the one that I ask myself as a default now, and I got to get back to remembering all four of them because right now I just focus on the one, but the one, and I believe you're going to share it as number four, is so powerful that it changes, it changes everything for me. So go ahead, Doc, what's the first question? First question is, when we find ourselves feeling stressed, frustrated, anxious, whatever, we ask the question, am I doing this on purpose? Have I chosen to do this? And of course, the answer is no. Then the next question, how's it working for me? You know, is this helping me create the life I want? Is this producing the results I want? Of course, the answer is no. The third one I really love because it goes a little bit deeper. It says, is this the way I want to be defined? See, I think when we are reacting to the world around us, we're letting the world around us define who we are. And we don't want to do that. We want to make sure we are defining who we are. So we don't want to be defined as someone who reacts to difficult situations with stress, anxiety, and frustration. And of course, the fourth one, which by the way, I love the most as well, would I teach or recommend this way of being to someone I love? And that is so the goal. When you taught me that question, it changed everything for me because of course, the person, the two people I love most when, when I just when I think about you know who I would want to help if they needed help, clearly anyone in my family, but I think about my daughter, I think about Birdie. And Dr. Yes. Bill, when you taught me this question, the question then became, do you love Devin? Well, of course. Well, if Devin, if the Birdie were in this situation, what would you tell her to do? And that changed everything because I never would take time to think of myself as someone I truly love until you told me that. And why wouldn't I give myself the same advice? Yes. Yeah, that's I love that one as well. I'm a parent, so I've got kids as well. But, you know, even if you don't have kids, probably we would not recommend someone we love feel stressed, angry, frustrated, resentful, all those negative things. So now we know what we don't want. That's good information. But don't stop there. We want to shift to what we do want. So we use those same four questions to say, OK, what if I were dealing with this particular situation right here, right now, whatever the trigger is? in a way that was more purposeful, in a way that I believe is more effective, in a way that does make the statement I want to make about who I am, and in a way I would teach to someone I love, what would that look like? And when I ask the Vistage folks, when I do my Vistage presentations and the CEOs and the leaders and everybody, frankly, they say, oh, well, clear, confident, creative, compassionate, uh, kind, open-minded, open uh, empathetic, good listener, authentic, great stuff. See, those are all neocortex top of the mind qualities. And we're able to generate that list by asking these top of the mind questions. So now yeah. that we know what we want, so we're not trying to stop what we don't want. We're going for what we want. Uh, creating the life you want isn't about what you're stopping. It's about what you're starting. So we want to be very clear about what we are starting. We're starting to access these, these qualities and characteristics. The way to do that is to imagine being that way. Okay, who am I? when I am clear, confident, creative? Who am I when I'm kind and influential? What does that look like? What's my body language like? Have I ever been that? Well, of course, what does that look like? What does that feel like? Because the brain doesn't know the difference between a real and an imagined event. So any image we hold in our mind triggers a corresponding chemical change in our brain and body. 
So what we want to do is imagine being the way we want to be because that triggers serotonin and endorphins, which also, by the way, strengthens our immune system, another kind of nice little benefit of this whole thing. And we find ourselves feeling and thinking and being the way we want to be. Then the last step in the model, the end in the model is to notice the change. Because at this point in the model, you will be feeling more calm, more confident, more in control, because each one of these steps are neocortex in nature. So you breathe, use the word relax on the exhale, you ask these four questions, or just that one, what would I teach to someone I love? You imagine being that way, using your all five senses, notice the change, and you will have actually changed the chemical makeup of your body, and you will now be in the upper 80% of the brain. So what I'd, like to what I'd like to suggest before I leave this slide is that everyone take out a pen and a piece of paper and write from top to bottom, B-R-A-I-N, and write the words in breathe, relax, ask, imagine, notice. You actually imprint your brain visually when you handwrite things. We think about the fact that when people make commitments in writing, and Vistage has known this for years with the personal action summaries they have members fill out while we're talking. But when you think, when you write things down, the research suggests you're significantly more likely to follow through. And you folks have known this since your mom or your grandmother, or your aunt had you uh, write a, 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 a shopping list before, before you went shopping. So Dr. Bill, you gave, everyone a button they can push. You gave them a very specific series of questions. This is part one, I know, and thank you so much for sharing this. I know that you have a part two and a part three of this that you customize for groups and the work you do. Um, I know that you've worked with uh, both huge corporations as well as many smaller organizations and associations. I also know, Dr. Bill, that you do a ton of stuff uh, for college students, for musicians, uh, you have your videos up on YouTube and LinkedIn. Um, are you okay with people reaching out to you uh, via this email at, at the email address I'm showing up above, Dr. Bill at BillCrawfordPhD.com? I would love that. It's, I always take, when people reach out, I see that as a compliment. Um, I love to serve and, uh, you know, just the, what it would be like if, if folks in your organization were able to shift to this clear, confident, creative part of the brain, be able to stay there. And part three, which is being able to engage other people so that they shift from their resistant so, brain. So two, two pieces of news for Dr. Bill. The first is that his wonderful book, he's working on an audio book. So hopefully, Bill, you'll give us a head, heads up with that. I, I don't think most people are aware of that. The second thing, and here's one of my favorite musicians. I don't think folks are aware, Bill, that you were a, uh, a professional drummer. I was, absolutely, yes. <laughs> and I learned recently you even had a gig playing at the famous Muscle Shoals recording studio. Yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, going there where all the legends recorded. It was wonderful. Yeah, the, the, the Rolling Stones wrote uh, Wild Horses while they were there. So here's one of my favorite wild horses. This is Chris Robinson, the lead singer from the Black Crows, uh, a guy that, uh, you know, I hear his voice almost every day when I listen to music. And when I met him, this is when I met Chris uh, a, a few years ago at, at a gig in Philly. I brought a ticket that my sister Jody had bought for a show we went to in 1990 on the Black Crows first tour. And Chris said, man, are you trying to make me feel old? And I said, I said, no, man, I, I just want you to know you're loved. And I want you to know how grateful I am to be on the planet with you. And, uh, and Dr. Bill, I want you to know uh, how much I love you and how grateful I am to be on the planet with you. And I, I use your tool every day. 
Uh, I may not use the Black Crow's music every day to change my chemicals, but I use yours every day. And here's my favorite slide, Bill. And you know, before I, I talk about who we got coming up next in the interviews, I'll, I'll give you a chance for some final words before we get there. But um, whether it's in my essentials course that I teach to large organizations or the Escalate stuff that I've done throughout Vistage, um, every day we have a chance um, to make a difference. It's not about making a commission, it's about making a difference. And that's what I'd like to do with the series of webcasts for people and the new book that I'm working on titled Starting Different. My favorite visual is this statue. Um, the artist has become a friend of mine. Her name is Bobby Carla. I've had this statue for 20 years. Bobby created a work of art, someone actually carving themselves out of a block of granite. And I'm seeing this statue a little differently this last couple of weeks because we're really seeing during times of stress that who people are gets revealed. Um, you know, if you win the lottery and you were a jerk before you won the lottery, you, you now have the means to be even more of a jerk. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you won the lottery and you were a good person, uh, you now have the means to be even more of a good person. We're seeing that with catastrophe and, and all the hardship going on is that people are really revealing themselves. Um, Dr. Bill, you've revealed yourself as someone who's always been there for me when I've needed help. Um, and I've needed help. Um, so I say with this uh, quote here, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was what we made of it. And Dr. Bill, I think of you as part of the statue. I think of you as that instrument, that hammer, that tool that we use to carve out the kind of life we want to have. So before I show the, the last slide, Dr. Bill, any final words for you before I get to our upcoming guest slide? Well, you know, I think one of the reasons that I was named Vistage Speaker of the Year because I had someone like you going around the country telling everybody they should bring me to their group. Some, someone like me? Bill, there's no one like me. There's no one like you. You now are the doing fun, it. Now, the Thank funny you. part is, the, the funny part is when I say there's no one like me to Vistage groups, I always end by saying, but there's a couple speakers who are better. And oh. one of those speakers that I told every group about, every single group, was uh, Dr. Bill Crawford, because I believe your work is as important as any other model that's been developed in the last 20 years, and certainly something that I use every day. So well, thank you for that. And thanks for bringing me on this. It's such a great idea. I love your guest list. I'm gonna be tuning in and watching uh, for all, all the folks coming up. Good. So folks. here's who we got coming up. We got Dr. Bill here for part one. And remember, he has part two or part three for your organization if you wanna reach out to him. And as you can tell, he's, uh, He's wonderful on a webcast. We got Michael Olasso, uh, one of my dear friends and inspirations, also actually a multiple time uh, Vistage Speaker of the Year Award winner. I'll have uh, Rob Teschner, uh, and he has not told me why his call sign was Cujo. Uh, these fighter pilots have their own reasons, but he has an amazing talk that he gives on debriefing. And I think it's especially important for these days for people to be able to take a step back and ask, what are we learning? Uh, Bill Woodich, a great friend of mine, has a best-selling book, a best-selling Wall Street Journal book. Stephen Robertson is an expert on those aliens you have living in your home. They're called Gen Z, and Stephen understands them better than uh, just about anyone else on the planet can help you understand them. Mark Lang has been a client and friend for 21 years, and he's going to talk to us about Voice of the Customer and how he created a program for 6,000 employees worldwide. Henry D. H.D. Henry DeVries is going to talk to you about the value of having a book and how he has helped hundreds of authors get their books written and, and why. And Henry is 
has so much to offer beyond just getting a book written. Kirby, by the way, is a Vistage chair who sparked the idea for the title of this uh, uh, series. He sparked that idea in a conversation about a year ago. And of course, I'm going to have our friend Bill, John Damon, uh, to talk about what he's doing with this BizCare stuff. So in a, in a moment, I'm going to end the uh, in the recording. Dr. Bill, thank you so much. Thanks, Dane. Be well. Cheers, buddy. I love you. Bye-bye.